I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are the heads of the Power Five conferences about to pull the plug on college football? Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty and others have a report Sunday night that said they are. And the race came from behind to be the Yankees sport a three and a walk-off single in the ninth by Michael Perez on Sunday. They win three out of four from New York. And they now trail by only two games in the American League East. But what about the chirping that the Yankees did? We'll tell you what that was all about in this series. And the race may be without pitcher Charlie Morton, who had to leave the game with shoulder tightness. The Lightning own the number two seed after their loss to Philadelphia Saturday night. But can they win without Victor Hedman? who is injured again. We've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Varsnick. A little programming note, we'll have the Times college football writers Matt Baker and Joey Knight to talk about the state of college football again. And by then, Steve, the Power Five conferences may have pulled the plug on the fall. We'll see. This story by Pat Forty, he kind of hinted at this over the weekend, and then it broke on Sunday. Apparently, there's going to be some high-level conference meetings that are planned this week across college football and an expectation that uh, they will have a resolution for postponing fall sports until 2021. Multiple sources have told Sports Illustrated, get a hold of this quote, it has gotten to a critical stage. One conference commissioner told SI on Sunday after a conference call between the heads of the Power Five conferences, I think all of us will be meeting with the boards, with our boards in the coming days. Uh, We have work to do that is no fun. We've talked about this. uh, You know, there is a big difference between the NFL and the billions of dollars that they have and the amount of testing that they have purchased uh, and the very mere fact that these guys are professionals getting paid and collectively bargaining uh, these protocols versus college football. And I guess, Steve, the big linchpin was sort of on Saturday when the Mid-American Conference postponed all their fall sports. Yeah, and I guess it was uh, pushed by Northern Illinois that was really pushing this. But but it sounds like the MAC has been in contact with many of the other conferences, including the Big Ten, who mm-hmm. the reports have been they're ready to move everything to the spring for football. Right. Um, it sounds like you know the Big Ten is the one that's going to push the Power Five conferences that way, or at least starting that conversation. The Big Ten on Saturday pulled back from starting physical contact and workouts. That's right. Um, across all fall sports, uh, so yeah, it does not sound good for college football. As you know, and the Godfather, the five families are coming together. Well, that's the five <laughs> power five conferences, since the NCAA has no power, and Sorry. you know they're going to decide the fate of college football. But it's it's it sure sounds like uh, it's not going to happen, at least not in the fall. You come to me and you tell me on this night we're not going to have college football. Both the Pac-12 and the Big 12, they have calls with league presidents, I guess, on Tuesday night. And that might be, uh, I guess, the first way they can begin a formally vote on postponement. Um, it's, uh, look, it's, it's jarring um, in the fact that uh, they were just finalizing 
schedule models or releasing schedules most of last week. And again, I think the max decision, you know, and again, they cited health concerns for the athletes amid COVID-19. And then that's the thing is if you have conferences, right, who are interested in, look, everybody wants to play. I mean, we, we always comes back to who doesn't want to play, right? Everybody wants to play. Um, and in some ways these, you know, these power five conferences that have an enormous amount of revenue at stake and, and, you know, TV deals and all this other stuff more so than even the Mac or, you know, the AAC and, and conferences like that. Um, they certainly have the means to, to do more in terms of maybe protecting their athletes, I suppose, or certainly the motivation to try to find a way to do, to play. And in some cases like Texas, they wanted to play with fans, which, which seems, almost antithetical to what's going on, but it's hard to justify. In other words, if it's not safe for players in the Mac, how could it be safe for players in these other power five schools? Well, and and we know in, in all these, whether it's the, you know, when, when the sports world shut down on, on March 12th, it was March 11th where the NBA shut down. And by the next day at, well, the NCAA, uh, the big East tournament decided to start a game at noon, but didn't finish it. But basically, right. by noon that day, everybody else was shut down. Right. Um, that's kind of the way college football. You kind of thought it was going to go. I mean, first UConn announced they weren't playing, but they're an mm-hmm. independent that was having trouble scheduling schools and because they had just right. gone independent and such. So that wasn't the, that wasn't the the first nail necessarily. But when the MAC decides that, and and look, a lot of the MAC's money comes from playing schools in the Big Ten. Particularly. That's exactly right. That's um, right. You know, almost all their schools play at least one, if not two, Big Ten teams a year. And that's huge mm-hmm. paydays for them, and that funds a lot of the conference. But, you know, these conferences, including the Big Ten, SEC, and all that, it's easy to just say they should have canceled football or, stop, you know, call it. But when you look at how much revenue college football brings in for these schools, mm-hmm. this is a lot of jobs at these schools that are going to be gone, and, and right. not just football jobs. Your women's soccer and your athletic department and – trainers and on all this stuff that if you don't have a college football season that's i mean that's 80 percent of your revenue at the, at, for the athletic department probably uh, you know and uh, every school is going to be a little probably, different and it, it depends yeah. on school to school and how you know donations and everything yeah. else is but and, and even that if there's no college football how much donations are coming in as far as right. that goes for your athletic department too so um you know it's not an easy decision for these conferences and, and 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 I know safety is part of it, but you're also dealing with a lot of employees and 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 kids scholarships and and everything else. Now I believe the scholarships will all continue to be honored. I'm sure, but you know, mm-hmm. but this is affecting these kids' livelihood. I mean, some of these are you know trying to use their sports, whether it's whether it's football or baseball or you know women's basketball, whatever sport they're playing at college, they may be able to go pro in in that. And a lost season of this is not good. Um, it affects a lot of things, so it's uh, it's a tough decision. And, and I, you know, I think with the MAC going first, and it sounds like the Big Ten's ready to do this, or at least announce, hey, we're not going to play it in the fall. Maybe we'll try again mm-hmm. in the spring. Um, your guess is is that everybody else will follow suit, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and with no revenue from football, then uh, all the fall sports, for the same reason, will be canceled. Whatever that might be, uh, in addition to football. And yeah, they'll see if they can play in the spring, which which creates a whole bunch of other problems for the best athletes that play pro that want to go to play pro football, the NFL, 
Uh, combine will be right around the corner. They could always move that to some other date perhaps, but do you want to risk just months away from your biggest payday if you're a college football star or somebody who anticipates being drafted? Do you want If you're Trevor Lawrence, do you want to risk playing in the spring right before you're to be drafted and have something happen? You could say, well, that could happen in the fall too, um, but you're only months away. And, you know, that's going to be another hurdle they cross. But, you know, I saw all these, uh, a lot of these athletes came out after this news broke and uh, from uh, from all over, including my co- my school, Arkansas State. They had a, a uh, committee of athletes write a letter about this. And you see a lot of hashtag, we want to play. Trevor Lawrence made this point, and it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be one that's necessarily going to change the tide that, that that is moving right now. His point was, look, a lot of these guys are going to be less safe if they're not in a campus situation where they can be mm-hmm. tested on occasion, where they, um, you know, aren't back at home, um, you know, uh, where they are taken care of. They have a place to sleep. They have, you know, three square meals a day, all that stuff. Um, his argument was that um, turned out to the general society, they, they may face a greater risk of getting sick than they would if they were, you know, taking care of each other inside the, um, you mm-hmm. know, the football program. And then and, the financial I, implications of their health care and all that that go with yes. that if, if you were to get sick outside yeah. of it and, and that. That's so. right. So, I mean, and that's a, that's a good point. It's a fair way to look at that. We've, we've looked at this pandemic this way, right, in terms of and starting schools. There's an issue with that. Um, you know, how, how many children are abused, how many of them rely on school for, for eating uh, well during the week or having at least one meal or two, how many of them use that um, for parents that they have a place for their kids to go while they work. And so there's, there's a lot of tentacles in this thing. There's no easy answers here. Um, but I do. it does sure feel like the momentum is, is certainly pushing this way at this time. And uh, we'll get into, I mean, I'm sure when we talk to Joey and Matt, you know, tomorrow, we'll get into to high school sports and what does it mean if the colleges won't play, you know? Like, how are you going to, and, and you have schools now in Hillsborough County and other places that have been pushed back and are doing e-learning at least for the first four weeks, perhaps longer. Um, so this is just a bad time, obviously, for all of us in this country and in particular, um, if, if you have someone involved in college sports or just if you like college sports. And, and it also brings up, you know, short, sort of shines the light very brightly on the NFL. And the NFL has, you know, tried to learn from mistakes or, or things being done, even in baseball, which we see, um, especially with the Cardinals. They've had games canceled right and left. Who knows when they're going to play again? Um you know, and, and that's those are teams that aren't in a bubble, but they're traveling, and it only takes a guy or two to step outside. You know that ecosystem, and um, but you're going to have you know football players going home. Some have children, some have wives, spouses that um, you know work and are encountering other people. And you know the testing. The difference is is that in the NFL they've collectively bargained this. Um, you know they have it's a billion dollar industry, billions of dollars billionaire owners who have paid for labs to test these guys every day um, so they have the latest information and can sort of trace the spread with these beepers. And But well, the one thing we haven't tried yet, Steve, and we don't know where this goes, what happens when they actually play football? You know what I'm saying? When they're actually 
hitting each other and not just within their little team that is, you know, sort of tested and, and, um, and, and, you know, kind of antiseptic in its own cocoon, at least when they're in the facility, what happens when they play another team, you know, and, you know, are they going to be able to pull this off? And this will be a great experiment um, because we've seen with baseball, it hasn't gone well. And can we say for any certainty right now that baseball is going to be able to complete this season the way things are going? Well, and the other part that you forget about this is what happens when these kids go back to school when they're when they're in yes. class with all their with all their classmates and that's right. And, that. and I think, look, at the end of the day, this is going to be probably a decision that the presidents of the universities make, not the athletic department, Agreed. not the athletic that's directors, right. Um, that's right. You know, not the conference commissioners. And, mm-hmm. and these presidents for universities tend to be very risk averse. Yes, they don't like anything that that they can't control or. or decide on or you know and 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 i think this is one of those situations where most of these presidents are going to say let's postpone it let's wait let's you know and and in the grand scheme of most of these universities the athletic department's not their biggest concern and so if if football doesn't happen this fall most of those university presidents aren't going to bat an eye right they're not concerned about that the athletic department is and and i Mm -hmm. you know i'm not saying they don't want sports but you know, the sports is not the reason that they have their jobs and the reason that they're looking after that university. No, it's not. Although they're not always the most important or highest paid person in the university. No. Nick Saban is at Alabama, but you know what? Um, they have a, they have a greater uh, responsibility than just the football team or than just athletics. They do, um, and you know, uh, they have to answer to a lot of people. Um, I I just never felt good about college football. We've said this on this podcast many times. I, I don't I don't know how you I don't know how you do it um, and how you do it safely. But again, you know, part of the problem it's not the NFL in as much and and this is where the hypocrisy of this business comes into play. Right, you're a student first. You're a you're not a professional. But but in order for them to continue a season. You're sort of mandating that these these students that may not otherwise be on campus come to campus um, in order to keep their scholarships. They have to work as if they were an employee uh, so that they can play games and raise revenue. <laughs> and I mean, when you start getting going down that road, you know, it, it's it's a little hard not to admit that they deserve to be not only taken care of from a you know, from a health insurance standpoint, but also, you know, uh, who's looking after their greater good if if they, you know, get something that somehow affects their future as a professional athlete or or otherwise. In, in other words, they, they don't have skin in the game. And um, this has always been the problem in my mind with major college athletics at least. And so there's also not a governing body. That's why it's conference to conference. And these conferences are having – there's no – NCAA anything commissioner that's going to come and say, you know, we're not playing college football and I'm the czar of college football so I can make that decision. Mm-hmm. And and all of that has been sort of what we've watched is we've watched these conferences twist themselves into knots trying to figure out how they can make this work, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, let's do conference only, um, you, you know, just so many different you know, variables that they've tried to wrestle with. And, and, and the one thing they can't change is the number of cases, um, you know, and, and just the out of control spread of this virus we have across the country. And so, 
you know, the best thing to do, uh, I would imagine in their opinion, will probably end up being to try to either, you know, to try to postpone this season in the fall and then, you know, take a look at the spring and see if that's doable. But there are a lot of problems with, you know, what happens if you have a college football season in the spring? Are you going to come back the next fall and do it again? Yeah. With I mean, very little break? I mean... Well, I mean, that's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things. If you do a fall football season that that's going to impact... I mean, my guess is it'll be a shorter season. Yeah. it almost have to be. Um, Start later. You probably, have a lot of yeah. players, a lot of star players sitting out mm-hmm. um, that wouldn't participate because they're getting ready for the NFL draft or right. whatever else they're going to do. Um yeah, it, it it would look a lot. It would look very different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even even some of the you know type of weather games. You're you know, if you start playing in what March, right? You know, you're you still got snow potential in a lot of places. Not that you don't have that later in the season anyway with some of the schools. But yeah, it's it. Spring football would look a lot different. I, it would be interesting how it happens. But you know, look, the, these schools at the end of the day are going to try to figure out, hey, if we can make a lot of money from our television contracts and maybe have butts in the seats by then, then why wouldn't you do it? And you save a lot of jobs and, and a lot of a lot of other things too. It's it's weird, it's bizarre, much like the NHL playoffs or NBA playoffs are this year and everything else, and you just kind of got to f- figure that out if you decide not to play this fall. The other thing that's going to be impacted, and there's no – you mentioned all the people that work w- within uh, you know, the, the business of sports. Oh, by the way, including sports writers. <laughs> Not not to uh, not to be too uh, self pitying here, but we're kind of rooting for sports ourselves. Um, but aside from that, like some of these college towns, imagine the hit, and I mean this. This is ginormous. Mm-hmm. The hit the economies of these college football and college towns are going to take if you don't have the migration of a hundred thousand fans on a mm-hmm. weekend in in Tuscaloosa and Ann Arbor in Gainesville, Florida. Yep. In Tallahassee, Florida, which I know is the state capital, um, in Oxford, Mississippi, in Starkville, Mississippi. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Jonesboro, Arkansas. Jonesboro, Arkansas. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And and you know they come from all over and stay in hotels and spend money in restaurants and you know uh, buy all kinds of alcohol and and uh, whatever they whatever else you do on a college football weekend. But they pump in, you know, hundreds, if not millions, of, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into those economies. And without that, what happens to those diners and those restaurants and those, you know, the employees of those economies? Th- those are going to take enormous hits in, a, in an era where we're already having small businesses close left and right. So just a reminder, tomorrow we'll have our college football writers, Matt Baker and Joey Knight, on to discuss uh, the latest news on the Power 5 conferences and whether or not there will be college football this fall. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning because, you know, I watched that game on Saturday. They were pretty well handled by the Philadelphia Flyers. But, of course, one thing that impacted it greatly was the injury to Victor Hedman, um, and when he did it, it didn't look good. It looked worse as he was going off the ice, and he started 
smashing a hockey stick, uh, you know, against uh, the stands or whatever on the way out. Um, this was a freakish injury. I mean, that's usually how they happen, right? He was, you know, backpedaling, back, skating backwards to get into his defensive position and sort of twisted a bit, uh, got twisted up a little bit on his on his ankle. And, I mean, all you could say or think at that moment was, here we go again. I mean, the one player, right, short of Andre Vasilevsky, who you would never want to lose off that Lightning team right now, and I would include Nikita Kucherov in this or Steven Stamkos is Victor Hedman because he means so much to their back end and 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 he does everything right. I mean, on the power play, uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, you know, this is the best defenseman in the NHL, and to have him have to to, to start the NHL playoffs without Victor Hedman is a major major loss for this hockey team. I know that the Lightning are trying to exercise some demons from last year. They're going to place Columbus in the first round, who beat Toronto three mm-hmm. nothing tonight. So you're getting the rematch. Yes, you didn't have to go into the rematch without Hedman like you had last year. <laughs> I mean, so right. isn't that taking it a little too far? Yeah, we want everything the same. We're just not going to get swept. I, I know Hedman played the first two games, but he wasn't himself, and then he didn't play right. games three and four because he had a concussion a week before the end of the regular season, and he was not fully healthy. <laughs> you're taking a little too far when you're trying to, you know, exercise these demons. You didn't have to go that far, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's true. Look, the Lightning, the first two games of the round robin, were playing as well as anybody in hockey was. If you watched yep. a lot of the other games around hockey, I think you could say Colorado was playing really well in the Lightning. Those probably looked the best two teams through the first two games of the round robin. The Lightning came out a little flat on Tuesday or on a Saturday night against the Flyers. Mm-hmm. I thought the Flyers were taking the game to them. Yep. Um, and then when Hedman's injury got, it got worse. Now, what I did like is the Lightning got better throughout the game. Mm-hmm. The second period was better than the first, and the third period was much better than the second. It right. wasn't enough to win and score, but you liked the fight that they showed. Even in a game at the end of the day, it didn't mean a lot. I mean, it was for seeding, but no. it was an elimination-type game. They got better. How they find – look, I don't like this matchup against Columbus without Hedman. Right. Uh, you know, I think I would have much rather played Toronto because I think their blue line's a mess. Um, and so Columbus is a team that will shut you down, much like they did for a lot of that series last year. I mean, the Lightning jumped out to a 3-0 series, a 3-0 lead in the game one, and then they kind of got shut down from there. Um, and without Victor Hedman to quarterback a lot of things and generate some offense from the back end, it's going to be tough. Now, this decor is a lot deeper than it was last year. Um, you've got guys like Luke Shen and Braden Coburn who haven't been playing. Um, you know, Jan Ruda... And Zach Bogosian were kind of battling for that sixth spot. I assume Braden Coburn probably slots in in the lineup because they like the lefty righty matchup. But it it could be it could be Ruda and Bogosian both both play. We'll see what you know Cooper and them decide to do if Victor Hedman's out, and we don't know the status of his injury at this point. We're just speculating. It's a tough task, and I, I think you know you've got to put a lot more pressure on guys like Kucherov and Point to produce more offense. Um, you know, and, and the forwards are going to have to be better responsibly defensively too. So, um, you know, Victor is responsible for so much, particularly on the power play, but even in the course of play, I mean, he's so good. I mean, there's a reason he's been a Norris trophy finalist for four straight seasons. He's one of the best in the game period. And, and, you know, outside of Vasilevsky, he is the one player you can't afford to lose. I mean, you want Steven Stamkos back, but you have a lot more depth at forward, not as good as Stamkos, but, 
you have a lot more depth and can cover up things. I think on the defensive end, when you lose someone as good as Victor Hedman, that's tough to to do. Now, hopefully he's – maybe he plays – and we know the first game is Tuesday at 3 o'clock against Columbus. Mm-hmm. Maybe he plays Tuesday or maybe he misses a game or two, hopefully. You hope it's not a long-term injury. Maybe we'll find out more today as they'll have a workout and, and there'll be a media availability, so Cooper will speak today. So, um, But that's the one injury you didn't want to see. And, and, you know, we've talked about that coming down the stretch of the season, you know, before the pause in that. It was, you know, at this point, once they had run off 23 out of 26 games and put themselves pretty solid in a playoff position, it was just stay healthy, just stay healthy. And Victor Hedman was number one as far outside of Vasilevsky that you, you couldn't have get hurt. And so, you know, hey, it's just another challenge. But, you know, look, we know to win the Stanley Cup, there, it, it never comes easy and there's challenges. So we'll see what the Lightning do. It's a shame because, as you mentioned, that that final game didn't mean, uh, as it turns out, all that much. Um, first seed, second seed, of course, the matchups and the fact they get Columbus again seems somewhat apropos. Um, but they were going to play Hedman. They did. He got hurt. That That's, you know, tragic. Stamkos hasn't played yet, so they could also be without their captain. But isn't this, like, the very same series that, that they lost a year ago and were swept uh, with Hedman being hurt and, and playing hurt probably in the first two? Isn't this why they made the moves they did in the offseason? In other words, and when they face a physical team that's not going to let you skate, that's mm-hmm. uh, going to force you to get dirty goals – um, that's going to force you into into being physical around the net. I mean, aren't isn't that what all the off season moves were? Um, and so, shouldn't they be able to sustain this? Hopefully, better than they than they did a year ago when they faced this team. Absolutely. I, I you know I look. I think their decor is, is deeper and, mm-hmm. and able to sustain it. But I you know I also think when you look at the additions of Pat Maroon, right, and right, and Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman and Zach Bogosian, who that was mm-hmm. you know. When you look at what they bring, I mean, this is a different style of Lightning team than what was last year. Right. Um, there's more – Dave Mishkin uses the term a lot, grit. This more sandpaper to their game. And, and right. they should be able to withstand punches a lot better, so to speak. Not necessarily fighting physical punches, but – Yeah. Know. So, look, I mean, if you, if you still break this down, even without Hedman, I think if you look at it, the Lightning are the favorite team in this matchup still. Um, now there's no home ice advantage too, so um, everyone's playing you know at the same spot. But uh, yeah. you know the Lightning still have more talent up and down the roster. Mm-hmm. But you know we'll see. Now you know unlike you know unlike last year where you had Hedman playing the first two games. You know and this is like it's still speculating, but playing the first two games is not himself. This time you're going to go in with six healthy defensemen. Right. Those games. So I mean you know mm-hmm. still Victor Hedman at eighty percent is better than anybody else on the ice, but. You know, I don't know what he was last year. You know, if you could even put a percentage on it. So, right. Well, that happened so shockingly. They were ahead, you know, in the first game, and then boom, mm-hmm. they lost. Lost. They lost two games within. Well, and you remember um, Hedman got uh, undressed by um, right. the defensive end, and that you know that kind of really turned the tide of the game. And that's Clemson right. Ended up winning that game four to three. You that's know. how you knew he wasn't right. But I mean, now they go into the series knowing they're going to be at least starting it without Victor Hedman. And what more equipped, as you mentioned, to be able to withstand that style of play? And so, you know, look, the number two seed, you're 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 the better team. You're supposed to win. They have to find a way to win the series. It doesn't matter how they win it, four three or whatever it is, and and they get a chance to exercise those demons. 
And if they're able to do it, you might, you might gain some momentum out of just that, you know, out of being able to go back to the point of a year ago and, and, um, you know, survive in advance and see if you can move through these playoffs. Cause it is, I do agree that they're, they look the best in this round Robin, um, situation up until their final game. So there's no reason to think that they're not a good hockey team. They're still a very good hockey team. It's just, you'd like to have your, you know, the best defenseman in the league available to you as soon as possible. And maybe he'll come back, um, before they play too many games, but it was a, it, it was an, you know, you could feel there wasn't any air in the building because there weren't any fans, but you could almost feel it. You know, I mean, his his reaction was the thing, right? When you saw him, you know, abuse his stick on his way to the, uh, you know, to the tunnel, um, that told you two things: one, that it's it's it is serious, and he's going to miss some time, and two, it was just deflating. You know, it was deflating for that hockey team, and they played that way for a little bit. And then they stop feeling sorry for themselves. Well, now they know that they're not going to have him for a little bit to start this series. We'll see if he plays at all. But uh, I think there's something to that. You know, it, it is a hockey team. It isn't no team is can be reliant on just one guy. Uh, they still have a hell of a goaltender, maybe the best in the world. They still have, you know, maybe the best skilled, you know, goal scorer, you know, in the NHL. So I mean, there's tons of, of talent on this team. And, uh, and and we're in the playoffs now. It's not round robin. I mean, this is the real deal. So I'm excited. The good news is, though, I guess, Steve, we're going to have some afternoon hockey as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so the uh, first two games, uh, Friday or I'm sorry, Tuesday and Thursday, are both at 3 p.m. So we got afternoon hockey again. Game nice. four on Monday, a week from today, Monday the 17th, will be at 3 p.m. as well. And then Saturday, mm-hmm. they'll play Saturday night. So for the first four, first four that. games, three-day games during the week, so. Yeah, I personally love that. And I know, you know, there are some that may have to still go into work on the rest of us who are working from home. It's very nice to have it on, at least while we're doing other things. So um, that part of it's really good. Uh, The other thing that was, uh, of course, on the weekend, the big uh, Rays-Yankees series. This was, uh, you know, the the Rays wind up winning three out of four. They easily could have lost three out of four. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some come from behind wins. And in fact, you know, game one, they got, what, two hits? And managed to win a one to nothing game. I mean, you know, for the most part, the Rays pitching, with the exception of one game, was stellar. And to see the Rays come back after they were just being completely handled by James Paxton, to come back and out Yankee the Yankees with a couple home runs by Mike Brasso and Brandon Lau, which tied the game, uh, and I guess maybe started some chirping when Lau crossed home plate. Well, no, no, no. It it, it 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 ended the Yankees chirping, which had been going on That's all right. weekend, and the Rays yeah. apparently are not allowed to re- to do that back. They're not allowed to retaliate, I guess. Yes. yes, yes, yes. The Rays are not allowed to talk. I mean, apparently, do not speak to us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I don't, I don't get this whole Yankee. I mean, you know, here comes you know the evil empire with their you know three hundred million dollar payroll and the Bronx Bombers and you know Aaron Judge hitting balls you know out of Yosemite if he wants to. Um, and then there's your small market, you know, Rays team that was below water, under 500 when they showed up. And all of a sudden, you know, they managed to, to, uh, throw a couple pitches inside to these guys that are six foot eight hanging over the opposing batter's box. And it's like, no, 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 you can't throw them inside. Now I get nobody wants well, to get chin music. No one wants to get the tower buzz like that, but come on now, Rick, you forget they're savages. <laughs> yeah. You can't pitch savages inside. <laughs> right. 
You're not supposed to pitch to them at all, I guess, unless you just lay it well, in there for no, them. No, yeah, you're supposed to serve it up on a platter for them. I mean, they're the Yankees. Come on. They're the Yankees, damn it. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was bad. And then, you know, that, that led to, uh, uh, you know, the night, I guess it was uh, Saturday, when they played the doubleheader, especially in game two, it led to a couple ejections, including one of Aaron Boone. I guess um, 30% of his ejections are against the Rays. Yeah. Rays. And what does that tell you? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, nobody gets under your skin like the Tampa Bay Rays. They ought to have some kind of T-shirt or something. There's Yankees are savages. What would the Rays be? But I mean, it, it's it's just it, it's it, it's sort of embarrassing, really, if you're a fan of that baseball team um, to see them. And you know, the thing is, without fans, and this is the other thing we've seen all around baseball, the rabbit ears. You don't need rabbit ears anymore because you hear everything from those dugouts. There, there's no soundtrack or no. You know, within the stadium, we hear kind of muffled music or, you know, fan noise. And there is some of that uh, at Tropicana Field, that steady hum in between pitches. But for the most part, you can hear every word every player and everybody on that bench says, including the umpire, you know, which is one of the reasons for his ejections. So this has all over baseball, not just with the Rays and the Yankees. This has led to some um, some altercations. They had one. They had one in Oakland, I think, uh, with well, the A's. Yeah, well, that's with the board. Astros. Yeah, I mean, they're that's yeah. another team that went after the Astros. Right, right. You know, yeah. that's a division team that's not happy about. You know, I mean, they were competing for the division titles, and the Astros were sure. cheating. So sure, but then that you know there was the the hit by pitches, but then there's also mm-hmm. been chirping in the dugouts and a near brawl erupted, which baseball has enough problems without these guys. They're not supposed to fight. It's supposed to be a major suspension if you do that. Um, so all of that, but a good weekend. Look, the Rays have dug themselves out of a hole. They're back to 500, but more importantly, they're just two games behind the Yankees again. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, uh, that was the whole thing is if you beat the Yankees and, you know, and look, you went in that series hoping for two out of four, particularly with the doubleheader, because it's hard to win both games of a doubleheader. So you hope for two out of four, you took three out of four, you're two games back now. Now you've got the Yankees twice more this month, six more games Mm -hmm. all in New York. Right. So you're going to see them a lot this month, but you know, what a better way to to turn that season around and make a statement. Now the the mm. biggest thing is you hope Charlie Morton's healthy. Yeah, that was unfortunate. And we've talked about Morton and I wonder like if this has been sort of a lingering problem because we know that when they had the restart his velocity has not been anywhere near where it was a year ago. Now, you know, he is an older pitcher and at some point that's going to happen. Um, but he, you know, after the game, he talked about his shoulder and he just said that there was some tightness there. He didn't want to come out. He doesn't know how long he may, he may miss time or a start or two. Uh, they'll have to do obviously the MRIs and things to make sure there's nothing structural there. It sounds a little like Steven, I, I don't look, I'm, this is pure guessing on my part, but there is a period when, guys begin spring training and remember these this they've had two of these now they got these guys all stretched out and ramped up for the start of the regular season then boom COVID hit and they shut them all down then they tried to build them back up again um and sometimes about this time in spring training you get a dead arm you know you you just get Mm -hmm. whether it's tendonitis whatever it is you do get kind of a dead arm syndrome um just from you know trying to you know trying to build innings and and things like that so I mean, hopefully there isn't anything structural and that he'll be, you know, maybe he misses. You can't miss too many starts because you're only going to get about six or seven on the season anyway, or or eight, I guess. Um, So, you know, you don't want to miss too many. But, um, you know, with him down, with Yanni Chirinos down, 
the story of this Rays team had been some of these guys coming out of the bullpen that they weren't even counting on necessarily um, at the start of the season that have done a good job. Isn't so, that kind of the story every year with this team, though? It is. I mean, last it year, really Colin is. Poche and Oliver Drake yeah. and you know, guys it's like that, Emilio Pagan. And, and yes. I mean, he had some experience in the bigs around, but... You know, this year, right. then you start looking at you know Peter Fairbanks and you know guys right. like that, Ryan Thompson and and you Ryan know, Thompson, you know, yeah. You know, even uh, what Sean Gilmartin, uh, who got yeah. DFA'd after Saturday's game, but you know, and he didn't pitch great, but he 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 ate up a he ton of innings, innings in the first game of a doubleheader, which allowed them to have more pitchers for the second game. I mean, he did his job. Which they won. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's it's kind of the Rays find these guys. And they've done it for years. I mean, when Jim Hickey was here, we talked about it too. And, and mm-hmm. the organization finds guys that have the tools. Sometimes they'll make some small tweaks or just even just the way they approach the game or, you know, you know p- pitch selection, whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden they become a lot better than anyone ever thought they were. And that's, the Rays have done that for a decade now. And it's, it's the strength and the success of this organization. And sometimes when you don't have everything planned out just right, like Zach Britton facing Michael Perez, which is not exactly how you would. Hey, let's have Mike up there with two outs uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning facing maybe the toughest left-handed closer in baseball. Um, and all he does is uh, lash one you know, uh, in the hole down the right field, into right field for a game-winning walk-off. Hit his first hit of the season. He hasn't played that much, but his first hit of the season. And... Um, you know, it, it, that's when you know things are going well right there when you when you get a break, a lefty on lefty like that. The one guy who can hit lefties, though, is Mike Brasso. That guy destroys left-handed pitching. Yep. Um, and he had, he had, of course, a key double in that inning, got thrown out at third on a great play by the shortstop, but um, he did sort of get things going, um, you know, in that inning. By the and, way, I'd uh, like to take credit for Michael Perez's hit, by the way. Yeah, you should. You should. <laughs> Tell this story because I'm I'm in the car and I get this text message and I'm I got the game on and I'm thinking the same thing you were thinking uh, when you sent me the text about Perez. Being I, I will up. read my text. It says, "You DFA'd your third catcher, so we are stuck with Perez batting with two outs in the bottom of the ninth." Ugh. And then of course, and then I text immediately back. See what I did there? <laughs> you see what I did there, right? I I made it so he could get the game winning hit. I was laughing because as soon as I read that, I heard, here's the one, two, two, one, one pitch to Predator. Line drive, right field. <laughs> it was just perfect. It was like, yeah. But I was thinking, I think everybody in the ballpark that knows anything, we're thinking the same thing. Like, this is not the guy. Like, you know, there's there's very little hope here um, when he's 0 for season that he's going he's gonna to take Zap Britton and, and turn around. What I guess was like I don't know what he threw him a slider or a changeup or something on the inner half and uh, he ripped it so yeah it was a walk off I mean that's a, that's a huge win for them and got them back to five hundred they got to go up now and I guess play the Red Sox who aren't a great team but I believe um, that was Perez's first RBI versus a left hander in two years that's unbelievable well because he would never be in that situation <laughs> no, I mean yeah right? he rarely is I mean usually it's yeah. because of you know he he came in the game midway through and then you don't Late, have another yeah. catcher so right. Um, which yeah, <laughs> it's it's just perfect. So, hey, I'm I, I'm you know good for the Rays, and you know they've only I think it's been in their existence. I heard a stat. I I want to say it was uh, Andy Fried or somebody might have been talking about this. I could be wrong about this, but I heard a stat that that uh, in their history the Rays have only finished ahead of the Yankees in the American League East three times. 
you know, so so the Yankees are always the measuring stick, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, and, and why wouldn't they be? I mean, but there have been years when you know, obviously, the Red Sox had their World Series runs, and um, you know, the Yankees beat them in the or the Rays beat them in the ALCS when they went to the World Series, and all of that. Um, it's always a tough division. Baltimore has been better than they are now. Toronto certainly has had their day, um, but you know. For for you to do anything in the American League East, you have to do it against the Yankees. Now, they haven't done anything at Yankee Stadium. I mean, this is where they have to go play now. Uh, a lot of these games that are remaining, but um, they're gonna have to find a way. But to win three out of four at home, that gives you a, a nice advantage um, when you go into those series here in a little bit. So it was a, it was a critical series for the Rays, like you said. They had to at least split. They had the doubleheader on Saturday. The two. Seven inning games. I mean, I'm watching an American Legion season. This is exactly what we played in the summer every year um, with those seven inning double headers. Which, by the way, did you? I kind of liked them. Did you have a problem with the seven inning games? I didn't at all. I thought it was. I mean, granted, the first game took you know three hours. Took about as long as a normal well, yeah. you know game does. But uh, just well, imagine, imagine that two, would have been a nine inning. Two one. more innings. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, I I have no problem with the seven inning game. You got to start fast. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the one thing. Before you know it, it's the fifth inning. And if you've only got six outs left, then it's kind of shocking. But now, if you've got a pitcher like, you know, Garrett Cole or something like that that can go six or seven innings and keep you locked down, Mm -hmm. then, you know, obviously that team has an advantage. Big advantage. Got the pitcher. Mm -hmm. But, but no, I I kind of enjoy it. I mean, if you're going to do the doubleheader, you know, why not? Yeah. I mean, I was actually, I was able to watch a doubleheader without committing. I mean, like you said, the first game was about three hours, but without, Without it seeming like it was eternal, like it would be with 18 innings of baseball, mm-hmm. but I kind of liked it. I thought it was enjoyable. The TV's been great. I mean, we've had lots of sports on, obviously, the NHL uh, play-in games, the round robins. Now we're getting ready for the for the real thing, which is going to be awesome. Hockey, I think, even without the fans, doesn't bother me. Nothing on TV bothers me without the fans. Has anything bothered you without fans watching it from TV? It hasn't. I'm sure it's weird in the arenas for the players. Yeah, I mean, I would think, I would think, because baseball, they're actually putting the sound in the stadium, so yes, th- there's yes. a little bit more natural for them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the watching players, the sport, yeah. the fans haven't bothered me at all. I mean, you know, in hockey, you kind of have that the glass and the wall anyway between the fans and them. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. see and hear them, uh, right. but the fake noise doesn't bother me at all. Um, mm-hmm. You're still hearing lots of the skates and the puck and hitting the boards and. You know, as we talked about initially when NASCAR came back, that the soundtrack for that sport was the car, the engines, right? Not the fans. Hockey, you know, there is the fans in that, but a lot of that is is everything else about it. And baseball yes. is that back crack and the mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. So the fans, it hasn't bothered me. I mean, you know, I, it's bothered me that I can't go to a game and enjoy it and watch it. Yes, yes, that part's bothered me. But as far as the experience of watching it on t- television or listening on the radio, has it bothered me at all? No. Do you think that uh, getting back to the Stanley Cup playoffs here? Do you think that there's any advantage to the to the better teams, let's say, or the more skilled teams, or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it helps the underdogs too. That there will be no home ice, and, and in other words, you you'll get the advantage with the line changes. There is a home team, mm-hmm. so to speak, in in each one of these games. Um, so there is there is that right. There's some home ice advantage in in terms of lines mm-hmm. and things like that. But for the most part, without the travel, without the fans, does that help or hurt one side or the other based on on which team it should be better? I, I would think at, at the end of the day, you start saying the more the better team should have mm-hmm. that advantage. Um, but some of it may come down to experience. Some of it, look yeah. at, at the end of the day in hockey, a lot of it still is based on your goaltender. 
That's true. Um, and and some of it's going to be the officiating. I mean, yes, you know, but the quite frankly, might not if, be as influenced by fans, though, right? I mean, like, well, say maybe not. But but the Lightning in the three round robin games, what they get? <laughs> no calls. Three, four power plays total in three <laughs> yeah. games. I mean, they played Washington and didn't get a single power yeah. play. Tell me who who can play Washington without getting a single power play? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it all depends. A lot of it's going to depend on that, particularly for the Lightning and the type of hockey they want to play. Yeah, um, you know, they force teams into making penalties, trips, and right. and things like that because of their skill level. And if the officials right. aren't going to call it, if they're going to swallow their whistles like they do every playoffs, and and I've instead, always thought that hurts trying to the make lightning. hockey, well, I think it hurts the sport. Yeah, don't you want to see high skilled players performing? Yes, yes. Isn't that better? Isn't that better than you know? I mean, and that's why they got rid of some of the rules to you know Jacques Lemaire and his one three one zone trap at the the center ice where no one could ever get in the zone and the games right. were boring. Right. I mean, how does it help your sport to swallow the whistles in the playoffs? I've never understood that. Now, I, I, look if it's a, if it's a very questionable call, don't call it. I, I'm fine. It's borderline. I mean, let them but, play. Yeah. But a foul's a foul. Call it. If yeah. you've called it all year, call it during the playoffs. I mean, right. You know, let's let's focus on high skill players. Let's let let's let the Kucherovs and Stamkoses and Ovechkins and Sidney Crosby's, although he's not in the playoffs this year, but let those guys shine. Let right. you know, give them opportunities when they've earned it. Of course, I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. saying call a foul just to call a foul, but you know, I've never understood, and I, I realize the officials are you know we don't want to we don't want to decide. They want the game, to be the but, reason they decide the game. But yeah. when you don't but call penalties, that, you've impacted the game. You you are deciding it in that sense that you're allowing one team to, you know, to change the you know the skill it's, level of the other team. It's like in baseball if if the strike zone's been you know this box all year and then okay to the playoffs we're gonna we're gonna mm-hmm. sh- you know shrink the box or right you know probably or widen, widen the widen the box so it's harder on hitters you know yeah why what are you what are you doing I, I've right. never understood that with the NHL and I, you know I don't know who's giving the directive or if it's just the officials not wanting to screw up a call, call a call that's not. But when you don't call penalties that are, you're impacting the game just as much. Yeah, I don't think it's an edict. Now, what they'll tell you, like a lot of times in the NFL, they would say, well, these teams are better. That's how they got here. They don't commit penalties. And there's some truth to that. You know, maybe not the pre-snap ones, right? And Mm -hmm. maybe not even during the snap. But then, you know, there is still holding and there is still, you know. But when you're going against better competition, sometimes you're trying to cheat a little bit to get the upper advantage. And if they're not going to call it, you're going to keep cheating. Right, right, and I've thought that, that to me that always have hurt hurt the Lightning because um, they are just that much faster and more skilled. And if you're going to allow them to do things, well, and thus the additions of Pat Maroon and Bogosian right, and Goodrow right. and Coleman. That exactly. now, when you try that stuff, you know they push and, back. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about chirping in the Rays, you know, Yankee yeah. series, but Pat Maroon is always chirping. Yes, if you've ever noticed, he never. Oh, he's yeah. never quiet on the bench or on the ice, and no. you know that 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 there's a big influence from him on the team, but also on the other team too. That yeah. you know, I mean, he brings some some you know gravitas and grit and sandpaper, and and you know it, it's going to help the. I mean, look, the Lightning. Yes, they don't have Stamkos right now, and, and Cooper said kind of got terse with it over the weekend. But I have no update. I'll tell you when you know injuries happen, and mm-hmm. you know we're dealing with it. Um, and then, you know, Hedman, we don't know what he's going to be. But, you know, the Lightning still control their own destiny. They're still talented enough to win the Cup with the roster, even without Stamkos and Hedman, although it's a lot harder without them. And, you know, it yeah. all depends on what they do on the ice. But they're going to, you know, look, Columbus just, you know, finished the game at 1030 on Sunday night and 3 o'clock on Tuesday. They're in the playoffs. 
Right. So they've got less than a 48-hour turnaround, really less than a 40-hour turnaround to their first playoff game. So, Yeah, and here comes John Torella once again, <laughs> Lightning's nemesis coach that uh, knows them pretty well. It's by the way, be a great series. Toronto hasn't won a playoff series since 04. That's incredible. And now four straight game-deciding series or uh, game-deciding games of a series. This one, game five, three straight game sevens they've lost. Oof. That's tough. And they've got that's the, tough for the Toronto. Lightning have some cap issues for next year, especially with, you know, it's probably going to be a flat cap or whatever going forward, mm-hmm. or I think that's what's been agreed upon. But um, Toronto's got even more cap problems. And that's a team that's got a lot of talent but isn't winning anything. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an exciting week on tap. Of course, uh, we've got uh, the Lightning hockey games uh, starting, I guess, on Tuesday. Uh, the Rays go to Boston. Uh, the Buccaneers will continue uh, their preparations. Of course, they're they're starting to get into the helmets uh, phase of things to where they'll be able to get together and go out and work out a little bit. We've we'll got an open workout on Thursday. If I pass my COVID test on Wednesday, I'll be out there for that. Um, we got Ronald Jones is going to talk to us tomorrow. Bruce Arians later this week. I'm sure there'll be more players as well. Check out the Tampa Bay Times on Sunday. I did a story on whose offense is it anyway. Well, the answer to every question is Tom Brady's, but learn how they will evolve this offense, and they're really starting to get into it just now because they haven't had full squad practices. But I saw more uh, stories over the weekend about people saying Tom Brady will not work in Bruce Arians' offense. Yeah, I don't get I'm like that. That narrative's still out. I mean, not locally, but it's still out yeah. there nationally. It I'm is. Like, I'm like, yeah. Bruce Arians is a good coach. I've mm-hmm. never understood this about that kind of narrative. I mean, coaches have systems and they have the style they want to play, but mm-hmm. you adapt to the talent on your roster. Absolutely. And if you get a guy like Tom Brady, you're going to adapt. Yes. Is it going to be the exact offense he ran in New England? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, you're going to work with him in that, but good coaches. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have a style and a system that works in this, but if you get a star player, whether it's you know Tom Brady or you know on the def- defensive side of the the ball, you get you know all of a sudden Aaron Donald comes to your team, you may change your defensive style some. I mean, mm-hmm. good. That's what good coaches. That's what coaches do. It's not just my way or the highway. I mean, you know, eventually if you want to get to that way, then that's the type of team your GM and you work to build, but. I've never understood this narrative where it's, it's, you know, Tom Brady has to run exactly Bruce Arians' offense that he's run for the last five years. I've never understood that narrative. Yeah, I mean, it would matter if, okay. Sure. (laughs) That's not what they do. I mean, and so to your point, football is football. Now, what Tom Brady's had to do, and and you can't minimize this, and he talked about it the other day, is that he had to learn the terminology. He hasn't had to do that in 19 Mm -hmm. years. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he knew one offensive, and and really, you know, plays, the concepts of plays, the route, tree and all those things are, are pretty much basic um it's just what you call them and and believe me brady has that down brady has had to spend a lot of mental uh you know time in 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 in, in doing that but he'll have that uh, what he understands is what you can't give quarterbacks and that is he knows every single thing a defense is doing pre-snap post-snap uh, you know everything um, you're not going to fool him, okay? So then it becomes about execution. And that's what he's trying to get on, and he's frustrated by the fact they haven't been out there doing live you know, reps at full speed with a defense. I mean, that's, that's his next level he needs to get to. Um, but when I talk to uh, you know, the people over at One Buck Place to talk about this offense, it is Bruce Arians' offense. I mean, there's no doubt that that's the terminology and the concepts. And his concept is, 
I want five guys out every time I can. Mm-hmm. Every, every chance I get, I don't want to keep guys in. Um, but what does that look like? Okay, well, it, it, a lot of it depends on your opponent. A lot of it depends on what they come out of training camp with. In other words, we know that Brady has a, a you know a chemistry with Rob Gronkowski. Okay, so he's going to be the, the the starting tight end. Now, are you going to use a lot of two tight ends? I think that's going to be their base offense. I think they'll have two tight ends in the game a lot, whether it's O.J. Howard and, and Gronk or Gronk and Cameron Brait or Anthony Eclair. I don't know. That'll all, that'll all sort of be sorted out. What they do know they have are two receivers and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But what if that third receiver emerges as a better player or a better option or a, better, or a guy that Brady trusts more than O.J. Howard? What if that's Scotty Miller? Um, what if it's Tyler Johnson, you know, and, and that's going to take time, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way he can really gain that sort of confidence in those guys is by not practicing, but playing in actual games in critical situations when he throws the ball to them and do they make a play? Are they where they're supposed to be? So all that has yet to be determined. And, uh, this is the coaches I know say, you know, it's not going to look that much different. We're still going to attack down the field. I mean, Brady did this and it was a number of years ago. When he had Randy Moss, he threw mm-hmm. the ball down the field all the time. Mm-hmm. When he had Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski, those two tight ends were going vertical, and they went with two tight ends all the time. Um, you know, when, when he had Julian Edelman in the slot, um, he caught a lot of passes. So Brady will, Brady will be the one determining where the football goes, and he'll be the one changing plays at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, the evolution of the running backs, how much will Ronald Jones be a, an asset in the passing game? What about LaShawn McCoy? Um, is Keyshawn Vaughn going to get involved at some point? So it, it's really a process, and there is no one answer that like, oh, this is what the offense is going to be. It's going to be whatever Brady wants it to be within, you know, the structure and the philosophy that Bruce Arians want, which is we're still going to attack the ball. We want to attack downfield. We want to you know, make big plays. We don't want 16 play drives, but you know what? Again, Brady is capable of doing all those things and they still think he can throw the ball down the field, especially with receivers that can get separation. And so we'll see. And, and, and I had a coach tell me, look, we don't know yet because we haven't even had practice. We don't know exactly what, what it's going to be like. Let us, let us get into practice and kind of figure those things out. So, um, but a lot of bucks, I'm sure there'll be a lot of bucks coverage as well on TampaBay.com. And remember, Joey Knight yep. and Matt Baker to talk college football tomorrow on the podcast. Did you see Josh McCown's tweet over the weekend? I did. He said, so what he, did he say? Respond, he was responding to a tweet that was talking about, Brady mentioned that he didn't realize how much, uh, I think it was what, mental, mental, mental energy, energy it, it yeah. took to new playbook for the first time in 20 years. And McCown's response yeah. was, finally, something I might be better than Brady at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Josh has had a few systems in his day uh, and continues to have them. I'll tell you the one thing Brady does better than everybody is age. Go look at that Zoom call. It's ridiculous. You're telling me this guy's 43 years old? Come on, man. I need his skincare products. <laughs> it's it's an avocado ice cream, baby. Oh, it's got to be more than that. <laughs> it's got to be more than that. I want to believe it. Otherwise, I am definitely going on the TB12 diet and nutrition and i'm drinking as much water as i possibly can so anyway check all that out on tampabay.com again tomorrow on the podcast matt baker joey knight hey we hope you enjoyed it we're here every monday through friday for steve versnick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody hold up what was that 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 